Hello and welcome to the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dangler. Before we start, I just want to encourage those of you who coach in the state of Iowa to join the IBCA this season. As a member, in addition to a $2 million insurance policy for your staff, you'll also get access to our Coaches Corner and Lucio Whiteboard. Your team will become eligible for either all region or all state awards and much more. If you're interested, go to our website's link, which should be included in the description below if you have any questions or need more information. All right, let's get to the show. Coaches, before we start today, uh, fortunate to have two guests on the show today. First, we're going to hear from Mike O'Connor, who's on the IBCA Clinic Committee, as well as the head boys basketball coach at Dowling High School. He's going to give you guys a little bit of information um, about the clinic, uh, which is virtual this year. So that'll be our first segment. And then after Mike's done, we'll jump into uh, our interview with Chris Larson, who's the head boys basketball coach at Norwalk High School. Um, so get a little bit more bang for your buck today. Uh, but first, we'll go ahead and listen to Mike. Okay, coaches, today I have uh, Mike O'Connor, head boys coach at Dowling High School, and also the uh, on our clinic committee for the IBCA here to talk a little bit about our clinic this year. Coach, we're shifting from in-person to virtual. I was hoping you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, sure. First of all, thank you very much for having me on today and, and giving us a, a quick couple of minutes to, to talk about the upcoming clinic. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. We did switch from the in-person clinic uh, to the virtual clinic uh, for the obvious reasons of, of COVID. Uh, there was just so many uncertainties when we started planning the clinic back in June and July, and we felt like this was probably the best method for us to go to make sure that we got some sort of a clinic this year. We really didn't want to plan for an in-person clinic, and then at the last minute have to cancel and, and leave coaches kind of hanging out to dry without offering anything this fall. And we also didn't really feel like it was a wise way to spend our time to plan both a virtual clinic and an in-person clinic at the same time as that could be very, very challenging as they both uh, take a great deal of time uh, in their own right as we are, are learning every day as we plan for this virtual one. But um, we've been very lucky that we've had the help of Championship Productions and Tom McDonald and his staff uh, with helping really recruit a, a great lineup of coaches. Uh, on top of the lineup that he's helped us with, we have many of our um, local state-based high school coaches, including yourself, that uh, have offered to, to help and, and give us videos, which will either be a part of a clinic or a part of our YouTube channel uh, that coaches will have access to once they sign up for the clinic. So um, I've seen a couple of them. I watched about 15 or 20 minutes of yours, and it was great. Uh, I watched one today on diversity with uh, Coach Courtney Henderson and some other African-American leaders in the basketball community, which was a phenomenal one. It lasted about an hour. Uh, we have a lot of really good coaches around here, so there'll be a, a lot of great information for our high school coaches to, to get. Coach, maybe speak to a few of the names who we have from colleges who are going to be available to speak or watch uh, some of the recordings from the clinic. Well, I, I think some of the, the big marquee names that really grab people's attention uh, Gino Ariema from UConn is going to give a, a presentation for us. Uh, John Beeline is going to speak. Bruce Pearl is going to speak. Uh, Darren DeVries from, from Drake. Ben Jacobson from UNI. Bill Finley from um, Iowa State. Steve Prohm from Iowa State. 
um, are going to speak for us. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Jeff Walls from Louisville has had a ton of success as a coach. Um, and those are the ones that I think people see and think, oh, man, these they get you to sign up. But there's some really good other coaches on here um, that I've been fortunate enough to see in other clinics before um, that I think give you so many great teaching points. Lenny Acuff from Lipscomb is unbelievable. Um, Mark Cassio is going to do a, a talk on modern basketball from A to Z. He's a high school coach down in Louisiana, I believe. His stuff is really, really good. Um, so we're really, really lucky. We have some junior college coaches. We actually have Chuck Britton, um, the director of officials in the state of Iowa, is going to speak. We have Tom Keating and Gene Berger from their respective association and unions in the state that are going to join us and, and kind of talk about basketball in this era of COVID and, and what changes we may see. Uh, so we've got kind of a wide, brain, wide ranging variety of topics from high school coaches to pro coaches. Joe Bear, um, who is an Iowa product. Um, he's with the Lakeland Magic out of the G League. He's going to give a presentation on blending NBA concepts in high school basketball, which I think is fascinating if you're into the NBA. And, and I am. I, I think that's a really intriguing topic. Uh, Adam Hepker is another guy that a lot of people may not know about. He's at Ottawa University out in Arizona. He's going to talk about playing fast. I listened to him on a Zoom call with a couple other coaches this summer. And his stuff is really, really good. So uh, there's going to be a lot of great content, and we hope that our, our coaches get uh, get signed up here in the next couple of weeks. Registration is pretty slow right now with everyone still getting back into um, the, the school routine, but hopefully that takes place here in the next 12 to 14 days. For staffs that haven't signed up yet, you can go to the IBCA website, and there's a sign-up form there. Uh, that's probably the best way to go about it. Um, the clinic will last. Uh, over five days. So we start, I think it's October 5th. We go the 5th, the 6th, the 7th, the 8th. We take the 9th off uh, because of high school football. We didn't want to compete with that. We go each of those evenings from five to nine. Um, and then on Saturday, we start early at 9 a.m. and we conclude about 6 p.m. So uh, it's going to be a, a great week of, of content for our coaches. So, Coach, one of the advantages with the virtual clinic, obviously everybody just heard some of the great names, but we're able to get a, a few more speakers this yeah. year. And then maybe uh, what's it look like, you know, if you're not able to see it on that week? You know, I'm, I'm busy Tuesday. Somebody was speaking. What are my options if I'm somebody who's attending the clinic? Great question. I'm glad you asked because I would have forgot to mention that. And I think that's a, a, a key aspect, Coach. Um, once you sign up, you will have access to all of the presentations for over for a year. Um, all the presentations that the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association brought to the table. Uh, so the presentation that you gave coach, uh, the diversity presentation I listened to today. I know Bob Fontana from Centennial is gonna speak. I know the Cascade coaches are gonna speak. Um, a lot of our small college coaches from around the area, Brad Bjorken at Simpson, Brian Martin from Coe, uh, Ryan Moody from Benedictine down in Kansas. Those are ours forever. And, and as long as coaches sign up, they will have access to our YouTube channel and they'll have access to those videos for as long as they want. And I think that's a great thing because I know for me, I, I probably can only process four or five things that week. I can't sit and listen to 30 or 40 presentations. That's overload for me. Uh, but knowing that I can go back in six months and study something or 
um, like Coach Acuff, I can't wait for him to speak. And I know there are things that we will get from him that we will use this year. If I don't remember it, the ability to go back in a couple of weeks when we're going to teach it to refresh myself will really be helpful for us. So um, that's, that's the nice thing about a virtual clinic. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the in-person clinic where I hear something, but I'm talking to somebody else and I don't have a chance to write it down and then I don't get to go back because I don't have it filmed. Um, having it at my fingertips to go back and be able to uh, review it will be really, really nice for all of our coaches. Yeah, certainly a ton of, a wealth of information that's going to be available for people. Absolutely. Coach, I know you mentioned going to the website to be able to sign up, but maybe just say that again and what the cost is. Um, and then if there's anything else you have to add. Um, to sign up, coaches can go to the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association website. And once they log on, uh, if they click on clinic and they go to clinic, clinic registration, that'll take them exactly where they need to be. Uh, registration is kind of a tiered registration format. I think your first two coaches are $100, your next three are 75, uh, your next two are 50, and then I think anything after that might be free. Don't quote me on that. You'd have to go and look. Um, with trying to organize hosts in this schedule, some of those details have slipped my mind, but I, I know it's there on the registration pages for coaches uh, to see when they click on the link. Awesome. Well, thanks, Coach. I'll make sure. I know that bell just went off, so that might have been tough to hear. Um, but I'll try and put and link everything in the description of the podcast if people um, can go there and be able to access stuff. So thanks again for coming on, Coach. No problem. And I, I'd, I'd leave you with this. If, if any coaches hear this and they're interested in helping us host uh, the coaches that we are having present, uh, please reach out to me. Uh, my email is moconnor, M-O-C-O-N-N-O-R, at dowlingcatholic.org. Um, hosting involves introducing your speaker, giving a short bio, uh, making a brief announcement, advertisement of our sponsors and vendors, and then kind of leading the question and answers that may come up throughout the presentation. We still have 20 to 25 coaches left to uh, fill spots with, and it's a great chance to interact directly with those coaches. So if coaches are interested, uh, please get a hold of me. Awesome. Thanks again, coach. Thank you. Okay, coaches, today uh, we're happy to have Coach Larson uh, from Norwalk High School. Coach coming off a Class 3A state championship. Coach, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, this, is, this is a lot of fun. Coach, I always like to get to know uh, the guests a little bit better. Um, so I'll just ask you, right now you're the head coach at Norwalk. Uh, what are your other positions there at the school and how long have you worked there? Yeah, so uh, just finishing up my 23rd year as uh, both coach and uh, I guess this is my ooh, seventh, eighth year, I think, maybe my eighth year I just finished up as our, uh, the name has changed a lot. The, the responsibilities have stayed the same. I, I think my current title is assistant principal. It's gone from dean of students to student advocate to assistant principal. So that uh, I, I assist the principal. So, so that is accurate. <laughs> Um, and I've done a mix of things in special education. So I was our special ed coordinator at the high school for a few years in that 23 years and a special ed teacher for, for the first eight or nine years too. Awesome. Fantastic. How long you spent uh, at the helm of the basketball program there, coach? 20, 23 years. So I just finished up my 23rd season. Fantastic. Um, prior to Norwalk, what was your experience even going back into your playing days? Yeah, so um, so I grew up actually in a in a town outside of Madison, Wisconsin, uh, 
So I was a, I was okay player. I was, I was a, I, I, I um, our, our team, um, I was a point guard. I was starting point guard on a team that got a state runner up and that kind of, um, I, I think um, our team was better than probably I was as a player, but um, it kind of piqued my interest. And I, I was actually looking at a couple schools, Central and um, Luther to, to play basketball at. And I came out and visited, and uh, my guidance counselor had went to Drake. And so when I came to Central, I also went and did a tour at Drake. And um, honestly, truth be told, I, I, um, I probably knew, you know, in all likelihood that I'd be a JV-type basketball player at, at college. And um, so I went to Drake, which obviously a Division I program, and uh, fall rolled around, and, and it was the first time in my life I hadn't had a basketball team to be a part of and I was working at the rec center and um, I got to know a friend and um, he was like hey we need another manager for the basketball team and this was kind of before it was in vogue to be a manager nowadays I think that's kind of a you know people go to to, to programs to do this and Certainly. Um, I like to say that, that 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 we were a bit of trailblazers in that and um, so this is in 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 1991 and um, he asked me and uh, Rudy Washington was the coach at Drake and I just was kind of the lackey. Um, but boy, I got right into coaching. I don't know if you would remember a, a guy named, or if you know a guy named Ron Adams, who's now since been a championship level coach with the Golden State Warriors. He was on the Bulls staff for, he was, he was there that year. And the, the run of coaches that Drake had in my four years was just phenomenal. And the amount of players and connections that you started to make, um, and so I really worked my way up uh, um, that kind of manager status. The, the two other guys were seniors and they kind of left. And um, honestly, from a coaching standpoint, I think that was the best transition I could have made. Um, I was so lucky to, to get to have the opportunity to, to kind of see the game from a different angle and, and get to know and get to be friends with so many of, of the great players. But again, I was looking at it from a little probably more of a coach's angle than a player's angle. And so those four years were really great. Um, then I got, I, I um, got done doing that. And, and um, you know, my wife is an attorney, so she was going to Drake Law School at the time. And, and so just kind of had to make that decision of if we're going to go, go away and go coach college somewhere far away or, or stay close. And um, at the time, I always thought I wanted to get into college. Um, looking back, just know, you know, that probably my heart always knew that high school was, was the correct spot for me, um, just for what my ideals are and what I'm trying to do and what I love about the game. And uh, so I went and worked um, with, with uh, the Lincoln basketball staff at Des Moines Lincoln for a year. And then I worked um, at Des Moines East for a year as well with uh, Andy Howard, who, uh, ironically has been my assistant coach so he retired from coaching and then I pulled him back and he has been my <laughs> assistant the last 10 years and uh, we have had a magnificent run uh, in Norwalk uh, in particular since he's come out there with me and uh, so that is, has been a wonderful connection and then um, the year after that uh, I was just a young 24 year old kid and uh, um, Fortunately, through Drake, I was running a lot of the Drake camps with um, a guy named Tom McDonald, who a lot of us know. And uh, he uh, 
I, I got the opportunity to, to meet a lot of, and, and organize a lot of things. And um, Norwalk job came open and I applied and um, a wonderful man um, named Mike Collins gave me an opportunity to run my own program. And it was really a depleted program at the time, but he was patient with me and gave me a lot of, you know, patience and grace to, to start up and, um, and learn on the job. And um, boy, it's been a wonderful 20 some years. Well, that's fantastic. What a great background coach and starting with setting that just trailblazing the trail for everybody else to be a manager. Cause you're absolutely right. That seems like a big time thing now where, and a great experience for a lot of guys to get in at the college level and get some great experience. So we just know it started right here. Okay. Well, and I just, I laughed because me and, uh, so I'm still friends with, with, with the guys, a couple of them. And, and we, we give them a hard time because we're, you know, we, we, we like to say, you know, there was no social media. There was no cell phones back then. We just, we had to, we had to just do the grunt work and uh, not really, Jay Billis wasn't tweeting at us or, you know, uh, you know, giving us any, any uh, shout outs or anything like that. It was just, uh, it, it, was, it was a different day, but I'm telling you, you learn a lot by being kind of the low man on the totem pole. And it, it really um, teaches you to respect all different um, aspects of the program and of the game and how they, all need to come together, you know, simultaneously to have a good product. Well, absolutely. Again, coach, a great background. And I got, a, I think, a few questions for you about it. The first one is you said you kind of always felt like maybe you were going to go the high school route. Some of your ideals yeah. and things um, you sort of felt were going to push you there. Can you maybe speak to what some of those are? Yeah, um, you know, um, a good mentor, and this was several years ago, but somebody, um, uh, a coach named Orv Salman, who was a coach at DMAC for a lot of years, he had coached previously. He was the announcer for, for Drake back when um, they were, uh, when, um, when I was a manager there. And so um, him and John Walters actually were the, the, the announcers for the, the basketball team. And when I was getting out, I, I met with him and we were talking about there were some junior college opportunities and and, and I remember being so, so mad at him afterwards because he kind of told me, he's like, are you sure you're not a high school coach? And I, I took that as an insult. Sure. Um, 20, 20, whatever years later, I, I know exactly what he was saying by that. Um, you know, they're, they're just, they're two different professions. And I think that's all right. And what I mean by that is um, as a high school coach, and I guess I love this platform that, that you're putting this out to other high school coaches because I think we go to clinics a lot and we, we um, buy videos and, and we do all those things, which is wonderful. But coaching high school at, at its heart should still be about developing young men. And it's great that we all love the game of basketball, but really what's going to make a great basketball team for us is that we have some core values and that we're teaching them how to be a good responsible young man through the game of basketball and that I guess to me is always what's important um you know I've said this to a few people since um since March that it was really weird for me obviously um for a lot of years I've been chasing to want to finish the season with with a win and um you know get a state title for for one of my teams and um ironically it felt like the end of a lot of other seasons in, in that I, I was sad to see it end because I miss hanging out with this group because I care and I love them a lot. And um, I guess kind of getting back to, to your original question um, to me, that's what high school basketball should be about. It's not, 
if it ever becomes just about the winning and the losing, then we're missing the point of, of what we're doing out there. And, and I guess it made me feel good because it made me know that sure it was fun to celebrate. And that's what we're all like in the moment you're trying to win the game, Absolutely. but it's not ultimately what you're going to judge yourself on. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's great to hear. And I, I hope you didn't take that too much as an insult as you got down the line. Cause obviously I've had a great career and um, I've been fortunate. I work with uh, Janelle Burgess, who's our great girls coach here at Montezuma. And she has similar things. She actually did coach the college level for several years and she's actually, either she'll be on a podcast and so people can hear her story. Um, and she said similar things where just, it's two different things. You know, there's uh, recruiting was a big thing for her at the college level that she both enjoyed of building relationships with young players, but was away from her family. That was hard. And mm -hmm. it says a similar thing to you where she really enjoys being at the school with the girls every day um, to, to build those relationships and teach them those kinds of things and using basketball as that that avenue to do those things. So uh, it's neat for me uh, doing this show to be able to hear some of those similar trends between people. Um, and I think we get to enjoy multiple sports and see them do, you know, several things that they love to do. And, you know, Gal, there, I wouldn't even say this, that in, in my time that I love getting to see a kid who's, who's a star in another sport who just sticks out for bat or stays out for basketball even though he's not getting much playing time but he just loves being part of the team absolutely even though he's maybe a starter on the baseball team and sometimes those kids mean more to you because they just believe in what the team's doing and uh those relationships mean a lot to you and so um and again that's not to take away from anything that college coaches do out there it's just um i've just found that it's been a really great niche for me yep absolutely like you said just two different Basketball coaching, certainly, and there's a lot of similarities, but two different little niches there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so the next question, Coach, again, uh, calling back on your experience there. You mentioned a few names already, but who are some of the coaches uh, along your way that have really stuck out to you as mentors or people that um, you just find yourself referencing their stuff or even working with them, calling them, et cetera? Yeah, it's funny. Um... You know, you, 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 we kind of talked about this at the be, before we even um, started recording that as a high school basketball coach, there's another fun part of being a high school basketball coach. We don't recruit. And so every year is kind of a new, a new challenge for us. And we got to, we got to be chameleons because we got to see what we have that year. And we got to, you know, it could be a completely different style that we're going to play next year as opposed to what we played last year because of who we have. And, and I find that fun. So because of that, you know, I lean on a lot of things, you know, and, and throughout the years, um, I've enjoyed getting to know so many different people. Um, obviously at the start of my career, I had a, a lot of people at, at, at Drake that, that helped me out and helped kind of get me going. Tom McDonald was a, a really great mentor and friend, um, that, that gave me a lot of opportunities, um, early on. And then, um, like I said, it was only for a year, but Andy Howard kind of just became one of my best friends that um, not just that year we spent together, but then through those, my early years as a head coach um, was somebody that I just leaned on a lot. And then um, I guess for me, one thing that was unique is when I got hired here, it's just a little bit different, I think. And, and, and who knows what, what the, everybody has a different journey, but um I got hired as a very young person. And then my four coaches, we were all under 25. And this is at a 3A school, you know, pretty big school. And we had 
four coaches all under the age of 25 and um, we kind of were allowed to grow and learn from our mistakes, which I think sometimes is, is the biggest detriment that we have anymore that we want the finished product. I've said that now, I don't know if my athletic director back then could have been as patient because people seem to be a lot more wanting instant success and instant, you know, um, things. And sometimes things just take a while um, and coaches need to learn and, and that's okay. That's um, all part of the process. So I learned a lot like on the fly. And then I've had just some wonderful friends um, in, in our particular conference in the little Hawkeye conference, we um, had a group of us who were really here for a long period of time. Um, well, you know, Derek just took over for, for Mark core who um, was, uh, was a really great coach at Pella. But then um, a really great friend of mine is Scott Sharp from Grinnell and Larry Hessing from Pella Christian. And all of us started about 25 years ago um, at the same time. So all four of us kind of, and we've been battling it out and we, you know, so some of the things we've learned haven't just been in our conversation, but just going against each other and watching film and, 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 and that's been fun. And just making so many friends by going to camp and, and chatting and, you know, you think of, all the people, um, you know, I know um, through through being on the board with the IBCA for some years, and and um, I, I think that's just one of the fun the fun parts about being a coach is to be able to, you know, um, I, I'm sure through doing these podcasts, you get to work some with Larry Carlson up at at Benton, and like there's just such phenomenal people who are so nice and genuine, and um, you know, I wish there was ways that we could could do it more, but, you know, um, hopefully that's one of the nice things about social media and the way it is now that, that it allows us to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I hope the podcast can be a little bit of piece of that. Cause I've had some of those similar experiences where just gotten to know really, really, you know, great guys, whether it's around the conference, uh, around the state or wherever. Um, and it's awesome to hear, you know, yourself having, uh, started when you were younger and be able to stay in the same position and grow, especially in this time where we hear so many coaches, you know, getting burnt out quick or whatever, whatever it might be. So that's, that's a fantastic story there, coach. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I was just talking to a, a good friend of mine, um, Noel McLaughlin up in uh, Algona. He was um, on my staff several years ago, but um, we were talking and he's had great success. He actually just changed from the boys coach to the girls coach in Algona. And, uh, it's funny how quick those years can pile up on you because uh, before, you know, and that's right. If any young coaches are listening, just it, it happens in a blink of an eye. Um, some of the best advice I ever got, though, was somebody, somebody once told me, try not to look at your future as you're standing in it, looking forward. But sometimes imagine yourself 25 years later, looking back on it. And, um, you know, it's something I'm really proud of. Uh, we've had a lot of success in Norwalk and, and I, I guess I'm not ashamed to say that I've had opportunities or, or, or a couple, you know, different phone calls that, that people have, have, you know, at least inquired of, about my interest in different places. And, and that's something that now, as I look back that I'm really proud of that I have stayed in one community. Cause I think that is a reflection of, um, of of your character and and that your community is proud to have you represent it for that long too awesome fantastic coach really like that um idea of 25 years out and looking back i think that's a great way to 
to frame things. Um, I'm going to switch the questions up a yeah. little here on you and go from your background to some uh, a little bit more. I don't even know how to say it. Basketball fan type questions, but first one is can kind of connect your background. So it's this: uh, How has basketball changed since your days as a player to right now in 2020 uh, as a coach? What's like the so, one thing that sticks out to you? So uh, we'll, we'll make this kind of fun for anybody. If you want, you can YouTube the 1991 state title game. <laughs> division uh you know two in wisconsin and you can see my skinny little 130 pound 35 pound rear end running around and my son has done that before and the number one thing that you're going to notice different is the strength of kids nowadays you know i i when back in the 80s and 90s you know i think there's people who love the game they were good players but the physical nature and the athletic of the kids we have now is is amazing. Now, fast forward that a little bit to um, when I started coaching, and I would tell you the, the biggest difference, and, and I know, I, I remember sitting there having some conversations with um, several coaches. The skill level, I think, of players right now, due to great job by our AAU coaches and so many good uh, you know, player development kid, people that we have, skill level is so high right now um, that we have guys that don't get very much playing time that every team has a couple really good players, really talented players. Now, what I would argue is because we have so many kids playing so much, the one thing that's maybe gone down a little bit is court awareness and, and then being able to play the game and the understanding because Back in my day, we, we um, it's funny, over quarantine this happened and, and during watching the, the Michael Jordan uh, or, or the, the, the Last Dance, um, that brought me back to my childhood and some of my high school friends, we were tweeting or texting about, um, about watching Jordan that night, that, that day in Boston when he had 63. And, and, and as we were talking about that, we sat around watching games together and kind of talked basketball philosophy, which I think not as many kids do anymore because they play a lot more. So their skill level's stronger. But I, sometimes I think that's at the cost of maybe not having quite as strong of an understanding of what a good role player looks like or sure. what, you know, some of that. And so if you ask me what I think's changed the most about a game, it is just that. It's that the skill level is so high and off the charts, you know, the shooting ability and the, the stretching of defenses. But I think where you as a coach can really bridge that gap is by getting kids to buy into roles and teaching them the importance of every single, all five of the kids on the court, not just your most talented one. Do you feel like right, Coach – that's really great. I really like that thought. Do you feel like social media type stuff can amplify that a little bit where it's, it's maybe easier than ever to watch a game, but you definitely certainly see highlights of games more. I can really remember, you know, it was either I could get to sports center and actually watch the highlights and that was it, or I had to watch that game. There wasn't, it took forever to load on the internet, you know, if I was going to watch anything, do you think that contributes at all to it or maybe changes some of our players perceptions today? Oh, I think absolutely. Think about it. They put together a highlight film and, and, and instead of understand, and let's not forget recruitability when co college coaches want to recruit them, they want to watch the whole game. They want to see, you know, what's going on on, you know, 
all possessions, not just their best possessions, but, but some, some, some of their worst possessions as well. Um, it's, it's funny because you bring that up even on the internet. How many guys do we have that are showing themselves working out and, 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 you know, all of these things. Um, and that's also been an argument of mine, like during March where I'm like, you know what, sit down and watch some basketball. I, I'll tell our players that I'm like, for me personally, and I'm not saying I'm right because everybody can have their opinion, but for me personally, I would rather have my guys take March and watch basketball and try and learn and, and while it's fresh in their head than saying, ah, we got to get right back to work. Because, again, I think that's just a little bit of we have this great talent level, but how can we get those two things together? Because, yeah. you know, and watching good basketball, not just playing at a – high you know or uh you know and it's it, again not that n not all of those games are at a very high level though because they just haven't put in the time to to be you know at where a college level is yeah absolutely coach all right next question uh who are your three favorite basketball players of all time but i have some caveats for this question okay okay the caveat is my mom can't know who it is all right now my okay. mom is you don't know my mom but she's a relative basketball fan. So you can't say Michael Jordan because mom knows who that is. Okay. So yep, yep. cut that person off. It can't be a family member and it can't be a player. I don't want to get you in trouble or anything that way. Okay. All right. So three of your favorite basketball players, for some reason, not the all time greats, but that you just, you love, you love watching. You just, someone stuck out to you for some reason. All right. Number one. I, and I'll try and I'm, I'm trying to think as I talk too. So first guy that comes to mind when you ask that question is Cliff Levingston. I don't know if you know, but when you said your mom couldn't know, I had to kind of like that. But when I was telling you about my friends, Cliff Levingston was a role player on the Bulls in the 90s on their championship team. I, I believe he's from Wichita State, was an All-American at Wichita State, I think. But Cliff Levingston was the glue guy. If you'd ever go back and watch the the, the – um, the, the Bulls final game, that, that was the first group of Bulls yep. team. Um, you would see him doing a lot of little things that, that helped. And, and so me and my buddies always called Cliff Levingston the glue. So we even talked about that just a, a few, few weeks ago. So he, he would be the first guy I think of. Love it. Um, number two, I got to throw out a Wisconsin Badger because I, I, I love Wisconsin Badger basketball. And uh, – if I had to, if I had to just pick, I'd say Josh Gosser. I don't know. Would your mom know Josh Gosser? I'm not sure. I know Josh Gosser. Okay. So, so if you remember when Wisconsin a few years ago made their uh, their trip to the to the um, um, you know they had made the Final Four two years in a row and then they made the championship game and lost to Duke. He was he was their their off guard and just kind of again really smart, intelligent, talented player, but. Um, not the superstar. Uh, so I think I thought he was just phenomenal. I, I love watching those guys who just really understand the game um, just because um, I think they're, you know, they're fun to watch. And then last. Um, three is always hard, coach. Everybody's got a hard right. time getting the three. I'm, I, I'm trying to. Uh, oh, man. I'm trying to think of like an opponent maybe that, that just gave us a heck of a time. Um, oh shoot. I have a really good one, a kid from Pella that I, 
It's, it, it probably doesn't count because I can't come up with his name right off the top of my head. Um, uh, oh, Rajon Rondo. How, how's that? Nice. I'll yeah. give a more traditional. Yeah. Rajon Rondo has to go up there because I, I, I really appreciate watching him play basketball. I, I love um, – I, I like watching players that do things with, with a certain deficit. Obviously, he has a deficit in his game, being that he's not a great shooter and that he can positively impact the game so well, even with that, that deficit. Absolutely. Well, Coach, you met, I don't think my mom knows any of those players. So all right. Good, right all right. Very good job. And then I, I love that question because it, it tends to highlight some of those guys, like you said, Livingston, a a glue guy. Some of those guys who do some of the the non-scoring things or whatever it might be, you know, that I think we as coaches all all tend to really really love. So, great Absolutely. answer, coach. Um, next question is is kind of the same same along the same lines, but it's your favorite team, and if you can give me like a specific year of your favorite team, that's really what I'm looking for and why you, that team you really like. Now again, not a team you coached, not a team you played for, and preferably no major relatives, but I'll be a little flexible there if you got somebody. Oh. Man, those, that, that's a tough question because there's been – I asked the hard ones, Coach. I asked the hard I questions. I have been really blessed as a, as a fan of basketball, and I have been a Chicago Bulls fan. Um, just was, you know – not necessarily a Michael Jordan fan, but I was, what, eight years old when he came to the Bulls. And um, so in the 90s, to be a Bulls fan, and then um, a Wisconsin basketball fan here in the 2000s has been pretty tremendous. I think probably I had most fun watching that Wisconsin team um, in, what is that, 2014 with Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker. When they played Arizona, um, Nigel Hayes, um, Bronson Koenig, I, I, that, was, that was a really good team. Um, yeah, you know, that would have to be, be up there. You know, locally, I'm not, you know, really connected necessarily to Iowa or Iowa State. Um, but, Gal, there's been some fun teams just to root for. And, Gal, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Drake and – what is that, 2000 with Adam Emmenecker? Oh, that sure, was an sure. uh, unbelievable team to watch. And then a couple of the UNI teams um, have been sure fun to root for. Ali, Ali Farouk Manesh's team when they made the Sweet 16. So yeah, that's I'll throw out a couple. That's when I was at UNI as a fan, and that, that group's usually the one that I put for this Would one. that be your I, choice? I like it. You're shouting them out. Good job. Um, yeah. But, no, great answer. I know that's a tough – I'm asking for a specific year, but – I just like to hear kind of where people are come from because I feel like some of us got that, you know, some something that stuck out to you and you really just enjoyed a team, maybe not a national championship team or whatever, but just one that stuck out. So, um, well, Coach, thanks for sharing, um, getting to know you here a little bit. Uh, we'll take a little bit break, and when we come back, uh, we'll jump in to Coach's offensive philosophy. Okay, coaches, we're back here. Uh, Coach Larson um, led Norwalk, one of the top scoring teams in Class 3A the last few years in the state of Iowa, top scoring teams in, in really all classes, um, have been high in field goal percentage and stuff, so I'm excited to talk a little bit offense with them. And I'll just start with a pretty open-ended uh, question, Coach. 
Um, what would you describe as sort of your basic offensive philosophy when you're building an offense for a team? Um, well, it, it's interesting because I think it all starts with the end, and that is that you're getting great shots every possession. And one of the things that I think can get lost in that, I, I know that sounds like a really simplistic answer, but if you think about it, that means that if you could do the same thing over and over again, what, you know, 60 times in a game that you could do it as long as you're ending up with a great shot and in at the end of the possession. And so that's really what we strive for. And, and obviously we were really fortunate these last several years that we've had some really great scores, but I think most of the people listening have some really talented scores. And, and I think, at the heart of what made us really efficient. And, and one of the things I appreciate that you said right away was not only were, were we high scoring, and we talked to the guys a lot about this, that one thing to be a high scoring team, it's another thing to be a high scoring team that's scoring with efficiency. Mm -hmm. And um, that starts with that you're trying to get your best shot every time. And um, for us, that obviously meant um, Bowen, Bowen Bourne, um, I think had the, third most productive scoring season of all time at a, and, and again, this isn't to take or take away from anyone else, but he was playing at an awfully high level. You know, there's not too many people playing Xavier Foster twice a year and, and several ranked teams and, and, and all of this, our conference was really good. And to do that, I think it all started with, he had to be comfortable knowing that he was our first option and, and he was hurting our team if he wasn't being aggressive and trying to score every possession, then off of that, when teams tried to take him away, then you come up with countermeasures where he would make the right read for the secondary players to, to get open shots and then them taking advantage of his strengths to, to score. I, I, tell me if that makes sense to you, because I can, I can try and clarify that a little bit if, if, if it's clear as mud. No, I think that was very good. And, and obviously, um, Bowen's going to be a great example in one of our talking points, I think, of working with, with a great guard and a, and a young man who was um, as efficient as he was last year and certainly really fun to watch for those of us who got an opportunity. Um, so you talked about him, you know, knowing that he needs to be aggressive and take shots and, and utilize his skills. How are you, let's break that down maybe a little bit of defining great shots to your team. Is it along analytical lines where you're really encouraging layups and three-pointers or um, is it based on strength of each player? What does it look like when you're trying to communicate what a great shot is to your team? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where it all starts and that's where communication and relationships are so important and, and playing in the summer. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier in our conversation about watching the game and understanding that because what's a great shot for Bowen is not necessarily a great shot for Grant Larson, who, you know, and, and you have to understand that as a, as a unit. And when your unit becomes all about the unit and not about the individuals, I think that's when, um, it, the, the definition of a good shot becomes a lot easier because um, I, I, I think it, it has to grow and evolve as your team evolves. For instance, we could have a kid who we think is a pretty good shooter, but the first four games of the year he comes out and he's one for 12. Well, that means that 
he needs to start re rethinking about his shot selection, right? Mm -hmm. um, we could have another kid who is shooting 62% and only shooting three times a game. Maybe that's just because they're shooting exactly the right shots. And um, you get that a lot. And, and it's hard because grandpa and grandma sit up in the stands and they're like, well, he's making all the shots. He should shoot more. Are we sure? Are we sure that that's just meaning that they understand their role on this team? So I think it goes to you look at your own numbers and then you look at where our team numbers are. And as long as our team numbers were winning and we have an acceptable, um, you know, shooting percentage, and then you look at your own individual numbers and how that fits into the team. And that's how that, that, I don't know that there's a formula to it, but that's how it works together. And as a coach, if I see an outlier with that, then I have to sit down and have a conversation with that person or, you know, there's the ultimate conversation where I have to make some decisions about playing time. Absolutely. Yeah, Coach, we're different. I usually go right to Grandma and ask him personally, you know, <laughs> hey, what do you guys think, you know? And uh, it takes a while, but we get – no, I joke. Uh, when, you're, when you're working with players and saying, hey, we need more of this shot or less of this shot, um, is that most of the time a face-to-face -face conversation? Is it showing of film, showing of stats? How do you approach that conversation? Yeah, and we're lucky. Obviously, we're a little bit bigger school, so I have a couple assistant coaches, and we, we break that down. Um, you know, I, I think you're, you know, you got to know that the, as the head coach, you're making the decision on playing time. So sometimes that action is going to speak louder than the words. Yep. And there's times where I go to my assistant coach, and I'm like, hey, you need to sit down with player A and have a little film session before practice and show him why this is not a good shot and maybe go through a, you know, a series of the last three or four games and, you know, what we're looking for and why that's not working. And then ultimately I'm going to have that discussion and, and but my discussions a lot are going to be through playing time and um, through the actions that, that I'm kind of telling them. And then I feel like it's the assistant coach's job to coach them, to try and get them better. And not just, I shouldn't just say that because they have to start showing me in practice that they can sure. understand what a good shot looks like in practice. And, and we talk about that a lot. Like if you're on the, 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 the first string team, just so we all are clear what we're saying, are you getting shots just because you're better than the, the, the second string team or Sorry, or are you, coach, I'm still at the school. I got these bells going, you know. No, no problem. Start back over. Apologies. When we're scrimmaging in practice, are we getting shots because we're having good offense or are we just getting shots because we're overwhelming the other team athletically? And that's my observations during practice and what I'm trying to evaluate. And then that dictates playing time. And then I try and let my assistant coaches try and have those individual conversations. And, and then ultimately I'll have those as well. I really like that use of your assistance to be able to target some of those players um, a little bit more specifically and those things. Uh, has your um, philosophy on great shots changed over time um, in your years as a coach? I'm assuming it probably changes a little bit year to year based on personnel. Uh, maybe what's that process look like? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what a great shot for a kid definitely does. You know, I can think of a player this year that we had that it was really hard for him because um, we just had a unique group. We had so much talent and, and so many talented players. We had a group of juniors 
who actually, you know, had all, you know, lost very few games coming up, but then we had a group of seniors who was insanely talented. And so then some of these kids had to play different roles. So now what's a good shot. So I'm thinking of a couple of juniors in particular that this year they had to understand they had to learn a different way to play basketball because of some of the seniors they were playing with. But now next year, they're going to have a little more freedom. And I did have those conversations during the year saying, Hey, I know your whole life with your grade, you've kind of been allowed the freedom to, to, to do this and, and get these shots for this team. You're, you're not going to be allowed that same freedom, but next year it should go back to you getting that, you know, that that's a good shot for you. Um, so it's a, it's, you know, it's definitely calculus. It's not just algebra that we're talking about. And uh, I, I think communication is the key, you know, that you don't want kids to not have confidence. And so you want them to be really clear where you stand on things so that you can help them feel comfortable while they're playing. Absolutely. Definitely a big part of it. And certainly from afar watching you guys, it looks like, you know, the kids for the most part bought into uh, what their role was and did a great job and obviously ended with a, a championship. So that's fantastic. Um, I'll switch gears a little bit from shot selection yeah. to transition. Uh, certainly did score a lot. Uh, I'm assuming transition is a little bit a part of your guys' program. Uh, what are you guys trying to do to get up and down the court? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, and again, this is one of those things that um, if there's any young coaches listening, um, maybe you're, you're stuck in the mud on this. I know when I first started, I really struggled with transition offense because I was you know, I went to, <laughs> this will date myself, I remember going to Roy Williams, and they had a coaching clinic at Kansas, and, um, and you know, the secondary break, and I'm watching it, and we ran the secondary break, and, but I was taking so much time in our practice teaching our kids where to go, and this is how you run a fast break, that we couldn't fast break, because they were all too worried about getting to their spots. Yep. Um, as I've grown older, how I've changed is, the key for us to play fast is if you don't have the ball and you're not in charge of bringing the ball up the floor is to get up the floor as fast as you can. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So that, that is kind of our first key. Then secondly, whoever you deem responsible for getting the ball up the floor, understand that passing the ball up the floor is going to get the ball up there faster than dribbling. And it's going to be easier to pass the ball up the floor. If the guy's, ahead have run up the floor the mm -hmm. further up the floor they are the more successful our transition is going to be so that i guess we try and keep it really simple and then our posts run to the point of the rim so so if you think about it what we've found and obviously you know i'm sure some people can be can sit here and think oh well you've had an unbelievable talent and, and this is true um, and there might be some years where we have to slow it down because we don't have, but if you do have really high talented players and you want to play fast because you want to have more possessions, I think the more simple you can keep it, the better off you can, you're going to be. And so that means you tell your wings or whoever doesn't have the ball, get up the floor as fast as you can. You tell whoever your guard is to get that ball up there as fast and tell your post to run to the, to the, the point and keep it simple so that they aren't thinking about what they're supposed to do. They're just playing. 
Absolutely. I, uh, fortunate to coach a team that gets up and down most games right. uh, myself. And, and I would definitely agree with those thoughts. So I was really happy to hear you say those things. Cause, uh, it, it really is about being simple. It's like, yeah, when you get the ball run really fast, that's the first right. step, you know, to get down there and, and fortunate to have guys who are skilled enough, you know, to handle the ball and be able to do that. Um, which is a huge part of it, if not the biggest part of it. But, um, yeah, well, I, think, one thing, I think that's really important. Go ahead, coach. No, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, one thing we talk about is sometimes transition isn't even about scoring. It's just about putting the defense on the defensive. And so putting pressure on the defense so that they're in a defensive position so that maybe three, four passes in, you have a great scoring opportunity. And the faster you do that, you know, it's no different than if you do a drill and they're standing still and you're running at them, you're a lot harder to guard than if you're both just standing in one spot. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with those things. Is there anything you've done, you know, as your team's played a little bit faster, uh, is there any ways your practice has changed, uh, your drills have changed to um, encourage that style of play? Um, no, I, I, I think just kind of the common sense stuff that if you're going to play that way, I'm sure you do the same thing that you better, you know, your pre-practice drills and your, your passing drills, you better demand that every day is at a crisp pace um, because, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to practice in slow motion and then just turn it on all of a sudden in the game. And, uh, you know, that's probably one of the things, you know, uh, that I respect so much. Like I think of, uh, you know, we had several great kids, but uh, obviously, you know, Bowen being such a, a wonderful player, but people didn't get to see him. And, and anybody who does get to when he plays at I will be amazed that when he practices, he's, he's the, the best talker, the hardest worker, and there's not a drill that he's not flying up and down the court. So then that transferred into the game. I'm guessing you, you, you know, from what I know of trade, that you have a similar situation when, when you guys are practicing. Yeah, absolutely. I can't compliment the boys enough. And Trey and really all the guys on our team, uh, they just have that mentality. And we've certainly right. tried to do it as coaches too. But they just know when somebody gets the ball and it's going to get to somebody who can handle it, that they're going to get down the floor and they, they do a great – and certainly, you know, a big part of it is I think kids love to play that way. You know, I, right. they, they're not real thrilled if I'm telling them to slow it down, which happens occasionally. And so they're excited to go do it. So it's certainly uh, – uh, if you're capable, it's, it's a fun thing to do. Um, no doubt. So, Coach, you guys get it up and down the floor, but maybe don't have an immediate uh, attacking position. Um, what's the next step? Do you have anything you flow into? Is it calling out a set play most of the time? Um, what's sort of your philosophy after that initial attack doesn't prove to be totally fruitful? Yeah, so um, this year, um, and I should say the last couple of years, we relied a lot on high screen and roll for Bowen um, because that was so good. And then Tyler Johnson in the corner and we had several good shooters. And so we really tried to space the floor next year. That's probably going to look a little different. We're still going to want to play fast and we want to get the ball up and down the court, but we're going to have a team that um, really does a wonderful job of spacing the floor and cutting. And um, they kind of look like more like a 1990s team where they, uh, they move without the basketball. So that goes back to something we've touched on a couple different times. I think you got to know your team a little bit. What I guess to me seems like the most, and maybe this, maybe this is obvious to everyone. It wasn't so obvious to me for a long time when I, when I started coaching, but do what you do well, just 
decide what you do well and then do it a lot. So if you run the high pick and roll because you have a really strong dominant guard and you can have a couple shooters you can have on the, on the weak side to, to, to get open threes, do that a lot. And, and don't be afraid to do it over and over again. If your, your things that you do well is a motion offense where you can spread people out and you can get people cutting, then do that. But don't get caught up trying in a game to do four or five different things so that you don't really do anything that well. Again, I don't know if that makes sense. You know, um, I I know I I learned from a coach a long, long time ago that it's not what you want to, it's not what you want to be good at. It's what you want to emphasize. And um, what you emphasize is what you're going to be great at and be great. Being great at one thing is better than being average at seven or eight. No, absolutely. I, I think, Coach, you said maybe it's obvious, and, and I, I'm sure for some guys it is, but I, I think for a lot of us, especially those who like listening to podcasts or reading stuff or whatever, it's easy to get caught in that trap of trying to do everything. And right. we all know we only get that, you know, certainly get the summer a little bit, but two weeks before the season starts, a couple weeks over the break maybe, and, and really you're going. So I, I couldn't agree with you more of find what works and, and hammer it and then try and tweak it from there, I think. So um, well, really like and, that coach. And I just think it's so important at the high school level too. Let's, let's be honest. Our kids are at a different stage and, and um, allow them the freedom to play the game a little bit and, and have some fun doing that. You know, think, think about where you've been the last couple of years. I know I can speak to where we've been. And, and when I look at successful teams, most of them are, are playing. And, yeah, hit hard the defensive end and, and don't, don't ever let them forget that they're, they're, there's a defensive end of the court. But on the offensive end, don't get too much in their way. Figure out what you do well and then lean on that hard because I, I just really appreciate what you said um, about it's so easy in today's world to get caught up because I've watched watch things and I'm like oh my gosh that's so good that's so good that's so good and there is there we we have so much knowledge out there that we can pull from but let's be honest there's no way we can make our teams be good at all that stuff and high school kids like if we're practicing for two hours or two and a half hours during the season and trying to get them to memorize all these things I just don't think high school kids are going to be at least the ones that I have seen that is not going to be very successful for that absolutely um, so, Coach, one of my questions was going to be uh, building around a great guard. And one of the things yeah. I heard you talk about is one of the things you guys have done is, is work a lot on that high ball screen with, with Bowen mm-hmm. to attack from there. Um, so, obviously, I'm sure option one is if he gets a great shot off the screen to take it. Uh, yep. If that's not there, what's sort of the next steps, generally speaking, for your guys' offense these last few years? Yeah, and, and so I guess I should have come back to this too. So, so we love the high ball screen for him. Now, one of the things that I didn't say was, so we tried to give multiple looks to get us into those high ball screen situations, right? So it's not just saying that, oh, you're just going to run the exact same thing. It just means that if we like high ball screens, let's figure out eight ways to get it to where we're eventually going to be in a high ball screen, right? And um, off of that... Uh, we have a few different actions, um, and we like we were able to, and, and we like to surround him with shooters. And um, you know, when you can really space the floor, um, and, and we did different things with our big guys. Sometimes our big guys would screen and roll. Sometimes they'd pick and pop. Sometimes they'd pick and then go screen away. 
So we were getting them to do a lot of different things. And then um, again, when you have such a, again, I know I'm, I'm kind of preaching the choir because you, you feel this as well. When you have such a skilled guard, they can put sometimes two, three guys on him and they still can't keep him in a box. And so as long as you keep your spacing, and that's what I think the key for us was, was just as long as we kept spacing, we were in good shape because he could dribble out of, I'm not saying trouble, like, but people would get themselves in trouble. And then if you want to keep, let's say you're trying to, to, to blitz a ball screen or there were times where they'd send three guys. Well, he, all they'd really do was then he'd be ahead of three guys. And then we'd be left with us playing four on one on the backside. You want to give him a layup or stop the layup and we kick to a good three point shooter. You know, you have a world of options. So space from everybody else and learning that, um, I think one of the things that everybody else has to learn is how to stay out of the way yep. and knowing that sometimes the best thing you can do is nothing at all. Yep. Just being ready to receive uh, the ball and, and take advantage absolutely. of the opportunity. Because uh, sometimes it's that second pass too, because, you know, he kicks and they'll, they'll close out to the first guy, but then it's the, the next guy, you know, that second pass that, that's going to end up getting the open shot. Um, so I'd like to dive in a little bit deeper on some of the things you said there. One of the things yeah. was multiple looks to get into the ball screen, the high ball screen to the action. You right. want to get. Now, I don't know how much you want to get in there. I don't need you. I don't want you to reveal anything you don't not comfortable with, but what are maybe some of the things you do to try and, um, switch that up every so often? So sometimes it'd just be dummy, dummy motion actions, you know, weaves or, you know, like out top. Um, with three guards, sometimes it'd be running them off baseline screens, you know, where, um, uh, where, where he gets, you know, a, a triple screen along the baseline to come get it. But then we're hitting it hard where the, that first screener from the baseline comes up and he's ready to screen and we have a shooter in the corner. And that, that's really hard to get out there and hedge on a ball screen when that's all happened so fast, rather than if he's just dribbling up and somebody comes in your you know, setting a pick and roll, for instance. Um, I think uh, another big thing for us was um, this year that we changed a little bit and I think helped him is that sometimes he initiated the offense and sometimes he, he was um, the one running off screens. And we, we tried to get a little more complex out of that because then, again, catching it in different situations um, – like I said, if he's always me and Bowen talked a lot about this when you're dribbling it up court and, and, and we kind of took time in practice, all 20 eyes or whatever, I guess it'd be 18. Now all 18 eyes are on you. Yep. But if you're going and, and get up the court and, and this goes back to our transition, why we tried to send him on the wing because we knew we had somebody who could take the outlet, take one dribble and get it to him ahead. And he was a lot more effective to score than if he had to get the dribble and, dribble up court and then try and score with all the eyes on him so that was just one thing we thought of is hey when we're running some of our half court offensive off a dead ball set if we can you know have him run some action or maybe make a pass or two before he catches the ball now all of a sudden the defense has shifted twice his eyes are you know their heads are spinning there you know it it it, it um it keeps them honest Yep, absolutely. Did that answer your question? You get yeah, kind no. of where I'm coming from on it? Yep, just, just trying to Ultimately, get... Ultimately, we were doing the same thing that we wanted to do from the start, 
it just um, doing, doing one or two things really really well and just just missing up that look to get into into it you know yeah. I, absolutely um my one question would be along those lines is i'm certainly there's a lot of there's some set plays that do that to to put the guys in position but is there within the normal you know a course of play is, is it mostly set plays or is it the guys have some freedom and they're just playing. Is there any reads they're making to try and get into that action? How would you say you balance that? Yep, I'd say both. We we have we have um, set plays that could get us into it. Simple set plays. So we always kind of felt like I don't know how you you were, but we always kind of felt this depends on the game. You know, if you're in a more pressure filled game, we trying to keep the set plays more simple because execution just became harder, yep. and but also defense had a harder time recognizing so you can keep it more simple um but then also in our 41 motion and our four out one in motion we would talk about if bowen catches it on the left wing now is a prime opportunity to get our post to sprint up to set an on ball screen slide our shooter to the corner and then and then overload that overload his side get, get our players to overload that side and everyone just has to recognize that on their own very good so and they got to, they got pretty good at that. But then, you know, also, you know, some of it was stuff we'd call. And so I think it was a combination of both. I think earlier in the year is probably more things we called later in the year. They understood what we were trying to get done out of most of it. That's really awesome to hear. Is there anything um, particular you're doing in practice to teach that recognition skill of, okay, he's in this spot. That means I need to know I'm doing this. Is there any, any specific ways you're, you're trying to hammer that uh, thought home? No, I, I actually was just thinking this um, as you were talking and, and I don't know, for me, this is like one of my favorite things about coaching is I don't feel it's my job to tell the players what to do. I think it's my job to teach them how to play. Yep. And so if, they have a true understanding that when we're we we if if they didn't understand that setting a high ball screen and overloading the side with with two other guards and letting him come across that ball screen while we put a shooter in the corner creates an advantage for us and if they didn't see that you know then i wasn't doing my job as a teacher um and i don't want them if, I always feel like if, if the only reason to, that they're doing it is because I'm telling them to, then we're never going to get to greatness. But when, when we got to the point of, yeah, they understand and, you know, kind of subtly, really what the key to all that is, is the two guards that aren't going to be involved understanding to get to the strong side. Yep. And maybe making a hard cut and making it look like it's a basket cut and then flowing with the, you know, cause, cause the ball's on the left-hand side of the floor. So you cut hard, their defender doesn't know that, that he's not going to just whip. And sometimes if the defender doesn't respect it, they might get a layup out of it. Yeah, absolutely. But, they're just standing there. but you cut hard and you get to that strong side and the defender just slides slightly with him. All of a sudden, bang, you're, he's get, you're, his guy's getting screened. He's got the five man hedging or doing whatever he's quick enough to get around him and now you basically um optioned that your best you know or one of your best shooters guys and he's got to make that decision either he sells out to stop that great guard 
or and and then you know Bowen can make the read and kick to a really good shooter, you know. And it's funny. I I, I actually I shouldn't say it's funny because I just really great coaches who I I really respect. I've watched over the last couple of years where their players have looked at him and like, what do you want me to do? Cause like <laughs> they know they you're supposed to help on Bowen, but then you kick to Tyler or Scotty Anderson and yeah, you're, you're screwed. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's again, certainly helps to have those great players, but I'm really impressed right. with, you know, your guys is off ball one. Like you talked about being able to buy into that role, that that's so crucial to your team's success. And then two, being able to recognize that, which I think we all would say is, it's probably a little bit tougher of a skill than um, sometimes we want to give the boys credit for or, or whoever. So um, now I, to me, as I'm hearing you talk, it sounds like this is just something you're talking and preaching about all the time throughout the season. But I know as coaches, we love drills. Is there any specific drill you do to try to teach that recognition, particularly maybe of guys who are off ball? I, I, Gal, I don't think I, I can't think of any drills we necessarily do. Um, a lot of film work, I guess, to to try and teach them there. You know, it's not like we do any drills to 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 like show. Obviously, we do some of it. Like I said, hopefully your your set plays are are um, are are working well or working in, in in tandem with your your motion whatever you're running so that your kids kind of understand what 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 the purpose is of all of it um and and i guess the the one big thing that i think we haven't talked about yet that goes along with this for us is recognizing it all mm -hmm. you know is that in film session making sure that we're getting deeper than yeah i think we all understand recognizing a great pass you know or a great screen but like you said try and recognize that hey does everybody on our team understand that the only reason this happened was because player b sprinted out of here and if he would have stayed here and and then sometimes though we also point out when player b does it wrong and we say do you get that right here because you didn't get out of the way it didn't work. And, and so, yes, Bowen, it's awesome that you, you score all these points, but without everybody doing their job, that doesn't happen. Absolutely. And I'm sure grandma in the stand absolutely understands that too, right? <laughs> they, they got that down as well. And, and I think we actually talk about that in practice. Huh? And we, we <laughs> say, you know, there's no one in the stands who's going to appreciate it. And there's no end. It's funny because the deeper you get and the more, you, you know this, uh, once you get into state tournament run and stuff, you get more fans coming in and they haven't watched you play all year and they'll be like, what in the world? And it all works together. And it, I'll just tell you this, you got to really stick with it as a unit. And that's the one thing that I will tell you since I have a small platform to, um, and no disrespect to you. I, <laughs> no, you're getting coached. I just thought it was one of the, the, I, the thing for me when I, I was so proud of this group this year was I, Bowen was such a joy to coach. But like when we were at the state tournament, one of the things that I think people missed was like how much other people gave of themselves yep. to let him do his thing. And now if Bowen was sitting here, I promise you, he respected that and appreciated it. That's why they continued to do it. But 
those of you who are listening, and I know you have a group like that too, coach, that that is when it's special because you're like, man, they're all doing the exact right thing and they're being great students of the game and they understand his greatness and they're just trying to be a great team using all of their greatnesses together. Absolutely. And I, I think a big key, like you said, is when we can praise those young men, when they make a simple thing like, oh, I'm away from the ball. If I cut now, we can overload it so somebody else can get a great look. You know, that's just really tremendous. And, and um, what I think a lot of us feel the game is about. Um, I'll, I'll switch gears on you one more time just because okay. I was trying to look up a few of your guys' game from the state tournament. And I knew I was going to be asking a little bit about ball screens and those things. But I saw some teams play zone and even play a little bit of junk defense against you. Um, how, how much does that change the mentality of your offense? Because I do feel like that's something I, we coach at a little – I'm at a little lower level. We see a fair amount of zone really still, even yep. with good shooters on the floor. Um, how does that change your philosophy, if at all? So I think, you know, it kind of goes back – first we'll talk zone. Um, with, with regards to zone, that's where your season should all be about learning. And just make sure that you never um, don't take advantage of a loss. So in our semifinal game, we were struggling a little bit against Ballard. They just came out and were, they were playing great at the beginning. And we knew they were going to play a matchup. And we had struggled earlier in the season against the zone a couple different times. Winterset gave us some problems. And so did um, – it was interesting. It's kind of a combination of both. Ballard's pretty big. and Pella Christian was very big. And uh, one of the things we realized is that our four guard offense basically really struggled in those situations. And so we had learned from that. And so basically the entire second half of the Ballard game, we made our, our only adjustment was a personnel adjustment. And we put two big guys in there. So Tyler Johnson could be more of a perimeter player when we played man-to-man teams, he'd be more of a four-man, a stretch four. But when we played zone, we needed two posts in there. Yep. And so that was, that was our adjustment. So I guess to answer your question is that's what the whole season's for. And, you know, this goes back to some of our online things. And, you know, it doesn't matter where you're ranked. And it doesn't matter, you know, we don't all get to see each other play. That's not the point of your season. Your point is about the journey. And I'm telling you, at the beginning of the season, it's not about being the best team you can be. You know, if you don't, I, I only a couple years have we not lost before Christmas. And I swear those are like the worst years for me because you want to lose before Christmas. So you have a chance to make growth over that break. Um, and so zone, I think you have to, to learn from that and where you're going to get, get to make some great shots. So yes, that does change it. The junk defenses, um, one thing we talked a lot about, obviously, um, we saw everything. Marshalltown played us where they took two guys and guarded Bowen all over the place yep. and let us play four on three. Um, and that night, he's like, Coach, you want me just to stand back here? And he did. He just kind of stood by half court, and we were happy playing four on three. Tyler Johnson had like 35 points, and we had, I think, Scotty and Grant each had like 15 or something like that. Like, so when those opportunities presented itself, that, that, that's one of the things that I think people didn't know. Um, in, in the championship game, when Grant, um, you know, had such a good game, I think he was capable of doing that on some other, but he was smart enough to know he didn't have to do that most nights and knew that, you know, 
I had had other people, his grandpa, telling me that, oh, he, he's, he's a good shooter. He should shoot more. No, that's not the best shot for our team. Our best shots are Bowen, Tyler, Scott, yeah. and that doesn't leave a lot of shots for anybody else. Now, that being said, defenses can do things to you to force other, you know, if they want to put five guys on one person, they can force. When we played Pella this year, Joe Brown was awesome for us. He had like, I think, 20 points. And that's because they really come out and guarded us strong. And he mopped it up in there and played wonderful underneath. Defense kind of dictates where your opportunities are. That's when you as a unit have to make those decisions and get the best shot for your team. So hearing you speak, I, I say, if you, especially a junk defense, your philosophy is definitely going to be more of letting those other guys get an opportunity now to make plays because they're probably in positions where they're a lot more open, obviously. That's part of the defense uh, anyway. Is there um, many times you're coming back to sets to still try and get, you know, your top guys the ball? Yep. Is that maybe even how are you making that decision? Is it, okay, we've missed a few in a row. Now we have to get the set. Is it? Hey, we're starting the quarter. We want to get one right off the bat. What does that look like? So a couple things that I would just would just say that's worked for me. Um, first of all, I, I'm just going to go with the um, with the movement, with the sets of it. Is anytime I think there's two things that you have to remind the guys that are being face guarded, and that is one: the more you screen, the better off you're going to be. If you're being face guarded, the more you screen for your teammates, the better off you're going to be. Two. Um, move, allow yourself to be screened too. So screen and then come off a screen and then you're going to find yourself in a lot better situation. So any sets that we run are, are like typical of like our zone screen sets where we're yep. screening the zone and we try and make it be the one or two guys that are being face guarded that are the screeners. Number two, the second thing that I think is important in, against those junk defenses that you said, yeah, a lot of times it's going to have to be the secondary guy stepping up. But one thing we really try and preach is don't shoot till you're comfortable. You're always going to be open. So don't think you have to shoot that first time. Wait, but it's the job of the other guys. Think of how many shots are made when they're in rhythm, but don't shoot it just because you're open. If you're not in rhythm, wait, because the next pass you will be in rhythm. So, so wait until you're comfortable to shoot it and don't you shoot on your terms, not on anyone else's terms. Absolutely. Um, maybe against a standard defense, standard zone defense, but anything really, are you still trying to get into that high ball action, at least within these last couple of years um, where you're still trying to do what you think you do best, even though it might look a little bit different. And then how do you do that? Absolutely. So um, if you, I, I'll just go back to that Ballard game that, that I was telling you about. So one of the things we really like to do, like against them, it doesn't matter if it's a matchup two, three or any kind of um, even guard front, is just take two posts and screen those two guards, like, you know, at an angle, at a good angle, get him by there. And then still, and, and I get it, we have a luxury of having a really good guard, but then put two shooters in the corners and then let Bowen play their middle guy one-on-one -on -one basically, and then have your two screeners roll back to the group. Yep. So that's one way. Um, and then we can do the same thing if it's an, um, an odd guard front with just one, one of the post screening and then leaving the other post down, hanging around the rim and doing the, the action where have them start strong side and roll weak side as the, the driver is coming towards him. Um, and again, spacing out your shooters as, as all that stuff's going on. So 
definitely, we try to not change that too much at all. Um, against zone, we still try and run that high, high ball screen. Um, it gets a little trickier against the junk defenses, I will tell you. Um, so not saying we didn't do that. It actually helped us a lot um, against Sergeant Bluff. Um, we, we, we screened. They, they ran like the, the two-man zone, and we, we did some action where we were screening and got some pretty good looks off of that too. But um, um, definitely we still want to get high ball action in, in any of that. Yep, absolutely striking that balance between letting out other open guys make shots, but still trying to put guys where they're comfortable and they, right. they kind of know what to do. Um, Coach, I think we're kind of running a little bit low on time here. Um, that's, that's really all my questions. I really appreciate your uh, conversation. Is there anything else you want to share just in general uh, before we sign off? No, just thanks for having me on. I, I, I had, a, had a blast. Um, just talking hoops with you. And um, so thanks for doing this, not just for me, but for the whole state. Like I told you um, before we came on, um, I just think there's so many great stories to be told from us high school coaches. And um, I think this is a great opportunity for us to get to share them with one another and um, um, just unite us a, a little bit as a, a group and, and um, learn about each other. So thanks for doing this. No, absolutely, Coach. And, and thank you for coming on. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. You bet. Thanks for listening. As always, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and try and give us a rating wherever you listen to the podcast at. I think it'll help boost us up and make us available for others to listen. And then please share with anybody who you think might be interested as well. Uh, Once again, thank you for joining us today.